Himalaya. You're listening to the Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, a Himalaya learning podcast to access my own Your Shit Handbook filled with key insights and exercises and to join a community where you can chat directly with me. Go to Himalaya.com forward slash Rosie and enter promo code Rosie at checkout for your first 14 days absolutely free. I hope to chat with you there. I'm Rosa Ricardo, and this is a girl with self-esteem issues where we speak with some of today's most inspirational minds. Our guest today is beyond inspirational. He's an actor, a best-selling author, motivational speaker, and winner of Dancing with the Stars. He's JR Martinez. JR, bienvenido al podcast. How are you? Gracias. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, so great to connect with you and to have this, uh, I think, very important conversation. You and I gel very well, and we're, we're in sync with what we are trying to put out into the world and the way we live our lives. So I'm excited to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, talking about living lives, we like to inspire, and we're going to start with our quote of the day. Let me know what you think about this. So okay. today's quote comes from author and motivational speaker Steve Maraboli, and it goes like this. Sometimes letting go is simply changing the labels you place on an event, looking at at the same event with fresh eyes. Mm, I love that. Isn't it true? I love that. And, and I can relate to that in so many ways. I mean, I've had to do that so many times as you have as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I like to, um, a lot of veterans, you know, I'm a veteran, of course, and a lot of veterans who were injured overseas in, 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 in combat, they refer to that day as their alive day. I refer to it as my rebirth because I Ooh. believe that components of me died on that day and other parts of other components of me were born. And so for me, I've had all these rebirths over the course of 17 years since that day in 2003. And for me, it's all, always about like, okay, there's a scenario, but I have to be able to allow maybe a component of that to die in order to be able to receive the new thing that is there waiting for me. I'm just, you know, because of my own beliefs and because of my own pressures that I put on this particular outcome in this particular situation or this per particular person, I'm yeah. not allowing myself to see what it actually could actually bring to me and the value that it has. But talking so about I, I talking about rebirth, agree. like I love how you like I love how you've gotten to this level of maturity, acceptance, and responsive personal responsibility of looking at something that could be something that could be so completely negative and that you could victimize yourself from, but you've taken this personal stand and strength from it and called it a rebirth. What do you think? What led to you to come to this wisdom? of viewing it with those new eyes, because that's what it's about, viewing painful experiences and being able to look at with new eyes and look at the wisdom that's wrapped around it and where it's pushing you towards. Like it's, it's an open door if we choose to see it. Yeah, there were so many um, little moments, milestones throughout. You know, I was 19 years old when I was injured, right, in Iraq. And so what, what tools do you really have at the age of 19 years old? Not very many. I mean, I had the example of the way my mother was and the way my family was. You know, my mother's from Central America, El Salvador, and my father's from Mexico, but my father was never in my life. Mexicanos! So, yes, yes. So, you know, I had that example of survival and thriving and, 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 and just being very um, optimistic one, but very ambitious and just having that drive. But at 19, when my life was turned upside down, what tools did I really have? And... <laughs> There were all these little things that took place over the course of my recovery that gave me hope to make and made me realize, oh, wait, this is what I could be doing. This is what I can do with my life. This mm. is where I can go. So, for example, I'll quickly summarize. Six months after I was injured, 
I'm in the hospital still going through the motions. And one of the nurses asked me to visit a patient who was having a tough time. He just arrived at the hospital, same injuries I had, but I was six months ahead of him in the recovery process. I went in and spoke to him. I actually was able to have an impact on him. That literally propelled me now believing, you know what? I'm going to visit patients every single day in the hospital because it gives me this great feeling. So I started doing Yes, it's purposeful. Exactly. How does it so feel I when you impact someone like and that? I found service again, Oof. And, and 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 that and that feeling of impacting somebody, especially mm. at that age, it was like, wait, oh my God, this feeling of you giving somebody life, it, it it gave me life. Yet I wasn't doing it for me. I thought I was just doing it for them. But in reality, my heart and my soul was doing it because it, what it was giving back to me. And that's one of the big, biggest misconceptions related to like doing stuff for other people, even strangers. Is people are like, what's in it for me? There's a yeah. lot in it for you, actually, yeah, if you go, go and trust the process. So I had, a, I had that moment that got me involved in philanthropy. I did a lot of work through philanthropy early on in my recovery process. But I got to tell you, probably one of the biggest moments that took place that really forced me to see life in this new uh, opportunity that existed in front of me was my best friend. Um, one day after I got out of the army, this is probably about four years after I was injured. And I'm, I'm just an unpleasant kid. I'm 24 years old. I'm mad at the world. Uh, I'm getting a lot of rejection in the civilian world, as we military personnel call it. And uh, he said to me, he said, man, you got to deal with a lot of the wounds you have. And mm. the wounds he's referring to are mental and emotional wounds. And I was mm. like, what are you talking about? My wounds have healed. I'm referring physically. Yeah. And he's 17 years older than me. So he's been through this. He's been through life. He's, he's seen able a lot to see more that in you. And so he said, you know, he, he said to me, he said, you need to cry. And I Ooh. said, what are you talking about? He said, you need to cry. And I said, I cry. One, because I'm, I'm a young man. I thought I was a man, man, but I'm a young man. Two, because I am Latino. Right? Men don't in cry. Culture, men, men don't, don't cry. cry. No llores. No llores. ¿Por qué estás llorando? Yeah. <laughs> and three, is that I'm also a military veteran, right? Like veterans yeah. don't cry. Like I was an infantryman. That's not what we do. And so you just sort of, you know, suppress it and move on. And so it was that moment when he really had that conversation with me that forced me to look at myself and to really evaluate where I was going, how I was living, if that's how I wanted to be 10 years, 15, 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, Rosie, that when I finally accepted that, everything changed for me. Mm. opportunities, blessings, everything came my way. God was like, I was just waiting for you to come around, man. Now that yeah. you're here, you're ready. Here we go. Yeah. Cause if you would have been given all those opportunities that you wanted in the wrong time, you would have, you would have blown those away. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we get in this place, and we were talking about this yesterday. Sometimes yeah. we, we get to this place that we're impatient. We're angry. We don't get what we want when we want. And we're like, we're doing the hustle and everything and, and we're working hard, but sometimes we don't sit back and, and think, Maybe I'm just, I'm not ready. I don't have the wisdom that's right. needed in order to, to accomplish that at this moment in my life. Not saying that I'm not going to get it, but I have to work on myself. I have to grow. I have to do inner healing because healing right. is a big part of success. Don't Absolutely. you, don't you agree? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I believe that. But see, I think one of the difficult things is, is the reason why so many, why I, I think that many people don't actually go to that place of saying, I'm not ready because that then means that you're weak. The interpretation is that you're mm. weak. And I can't admit that I'm weak. I can't admit that I, I'm not ready to take advantage. I can't admit that I'm not ready to provide. 
And that's not the, that's not the interpretation. That's the wrong way of looking at it. That's essentially the quote that you read at the very beginning is that you have to look at it from a completely different perspective, a new set of eyes that it's not this element of where if I can admit that I'm not ready, that I'm weak, that I'm a failure. No, it means I identify that there is a a part of me that is probably the weakest point of me, but I'm going to strengthen it. I'm going to address it. Mm. And guess what? I'm now going to be this well run. It's no different than like, for example, you see, you know, athletes, right? And video games come out and the athletes are on those games. They, yeah. they, every athlete gets a rating. Yeah. What do they do? They get a rating. Some guys don't agree with the rating, but then they realize, okay, this is a part of my game that I have to get better at. Why? Because I want that rating to go up. All yeah. of us are striving to have a hundred percent rating. Yeah. It's really unattainable. But what you could do is bring that 40% and maybe this category, bring it up to 45. We're always students. 55. And then maybe you get to a 90 average and guess what? You're pretty damn good. And and I'd like to believe that I'm and where I am in life right now, I'm probably like a 70% right now. And there's always, and what I love about that is that there's always room for growth. You celebrate your growth and you acknowledge where you're at, but you all, I think for me, um, being in this point in my life, I've grown so much and I've done so much healing, but in, there's, there's a lot in the doing, in the personal doing. And it's not that I understand now that if I would have gotten opportunities years ago, I would have not been successful. I would have failed miserably. Why? Because I wasn't prepared. There was a lot of growing, a lot of wisdom that I had, a lot of understanding that I had to go yeah. through. And I think this entire path has allowed me to become the woman that I am, but I'm, I'm still a student. I'm a human. I make mistakes and I'm still growing and learning. But the difference now is I'm hungry to learn. I yeah. want to grow. I'm yeah. willing to feed my spirit, willing to feed my mind. I'm searching for the books, listening to the podcast. I'm out educating myself, connecting with people who have um, stories, listening to your story empowers me to there's growth. And even in our darkest moments, even in our darkest moments, there's something that we could be grateful. Why? Because it, it takes our path into a new journey that adds meaning if we choose to add meaning not only to our lives, but to everybody else. Now, yeah. one thing that was interesting, you said that your father was Mexican, right? Yes. And that- De Monterrey. De Monterrey. And, De Monterrey. and you said that he wasn't, he wasn't involved, right? No, he wasn't. Unfortunately, he, um, he left when I was nine months old. Again, this is one of those things where timing and if you just stick with life and you stick with the t- challenging times that don't make sense in the moment and you, of yeah. course, want the answer, you have to stick with life and ride it out. I guarantee you the answer eventually comes. So, What was the was answer? Nine- what did you find? Like for, I, I think for, for young men or just anybody who, who's gone through that, that their dad's not there. Yeah. Um, I know because my kids went through it. My, my yeah. kids, and I'm thankful that I have my father, um, but for someone that's gone through that, what was your learning lesson and, and how did you deal knowing that he wasn't there? So it was tough as a kid growing up. It really was. Um, you know, I felt like there were a lot of situations that I found myself in. I was born in Louisiana, I, but I, I moved to Arkansas when I was nine years old. I was one of the first Hispanic kids to arrive in Hope, Arkansas, predominantly white, predominantly black. And of course, I was picked on, teased all the time for being Hispanic. And even when Hispanics started to show up, I thought, okay, here's, you know, this is, these are, this is my crew. This is my clique. Yeah. And I, I found myself not being accepted by them either because I didn't speak the same way that they did or, or have the same experiences that they did. So I literally found myself in this sort of this triangle kind of stuck in the center point with all these different cultures around it. And I didn't feel like I can connect. And 
I found myself being picked on, you know, I'd get jumped, you know, by people mm. just because they found me. I was by myself. And I think those are moments for me where a father would have been incredibly helpful, right? To guide me, to give me some tools, to allow me to be, uh, you know, this, this strong person, I guess, right? Yeah. And so I always had this, this desire to want to know my father and wanting and, and asking the question, like, am, am I not good enough, right? That's what I kept oh, saying. The questions, the questions, and, the curiosity. And I got to tell you though, Rosie, so here I am, I'm 37 years old now. So when I was 36, so this is 2019, right before I turned 36 years old, I actually met my father for the first time. He is in Monterrey, Mexico right now. And he, when I met him, um, I, I was sad. Hold, I was sad. Hold on. How did you find him? Facebook, you know, Facebook. Jared, get out of here. You found him on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. So what happened was one of his friends that he, the, you know, sort of works with him and uh, reached out to me and we started the dialogue. And at first, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I was a little reluctant. Like, is this him? Is that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I got on the phone with him and asked a lot of questions. And there was a lot of personal stuff that he knew that isn't public information. So then I was like, okay, this must be him. And I knew he's from Monterrey and whatever. So I made the trip. I went to Monterrey last, last, last summer. And when I showed up to meet him, he is essentially homeless, broke, um, oh my God. lives, sleeps on a lady's porch that she just lets him sleep there. Um, they've sort of adopted him. Uh, he, I mean, he had a backpack and inside of his backpack had broken, you know, reading glasses and it had like a dried up tortilla that's probably been there for a couple of days. And he was like, oh, that's what I eat. And how did that make it, you it, feel when you when you saw that? It it it, it broke my heart. It, it really did. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and point, paint myself as this incredible human being that has this incredible amounts of compassion and sympathy. But there was a part of me that was like, yeah, I feel bad for this man. And I feel bad that this is his living condition. But let me tell you more importantly what I learned about this. And, and, and of course, asking the question why he left me and why he left my mother. You know, he was just like, listen, I just forgot about you. I was too busy doing other things. And needless to say, it turned out that he also had more kids. After me, he went and had more kids and left them fatherless as well. And when I, th when I think about it, after that visit was over, you know what I think about? What do you think about? Thank God he left. Thank Ooh. God he wasn't in my life as a child. And I said to him, you know what you did teach me, even though you weren't there, you taught me what not to do, which is to leave, to run away. Just because I didn't understand something as a father and it was brand new to me, doesn't mean that I run away from it. So you definitely taught me that. So I appreciate that lesson, but it also made me realize I'm glad he left. Had he stuck around, I would have followed his example. I would have been the guy that got involved in, in, in drugs and drinking and got in and out of jail, which is why he's in Mexico now. So, you know what? Thank God you left me with a strong woman like my mother to raise me to be who I am today. It's, it's a beautiful thing that you could sit there peacefully and understand the lesson. And that even though throughout the years you have that question, like you said, am I not enough? Because I know my kids have gone through that and they ask, you know, why, why, why isn't he there? Like the curiosity. And I always say, I never have anything bad to say, but I always tell my kids in time, God will reveal the answers. Be patient and don't, don't question yourself. It's not about you. I know you don't understand that right now, but it's not about you. How does it feel to just answer that question after so many years? Was there like a sense of just peace and understanding and letting go? Yeah, I'm at peace now. So I'm, I'm at peace. I always had this question that if I never met him and, and I found out he passed away, I'd have this void inside of me and this, this, um, 
this chapter of my life that never had closure. Now I feel like I have closure. Now I feel mm-hmm. like I understand. I can move forward with my life. I can focus on the things that I need to focus on. So it definitely gave me closure. And, you know, and um, it was just, uh, it was just, um, it was emotional. It, it definitely mm-hmm. was an emotional experience, as you can imagine. And yeah. um, wh- what it made me realize is that I always was enough. Just like your children, mm-hmm. they are enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't feel like he was enough in order to give us what we deserved. Wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with JR. We're going to be talking about uh, some deep experiences that you went through, your journey. Man, it's already gotten know. deep. I know, but we're going to go deeper. We're going to go deeper. <laughs> this is, thank you. Thank you. We're, we'll be right back after this. Okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, JR, we are back. We are talking fatherhood. We are talking giving different eyes to moments of breakthrough and moments that sometimes are unexpected to pain, understanding the wisdom right behind it. Tell me for those that don't understand your story. So you went through a moment in Iraq that completely changed your life in an instant. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So I joined the military right after high school. Um, It was September of 2002, September 12th to be exact. And I went off to basic training. I was there for three months. Once I graduated from basic training, which was December of 2002, I was assigned to my unit, which is January of 2003. Two months later in March of 2003, I deployed to Iraq. Now I give that timeline because I think it is incredibly important for people to understand that, that it's not just unique to me, unfortunately. There are so many service members that when they join the military, it's quick. They immediately find themselves in a combat zone. Here I was 19 years old, six months after joining the military at war in Iraq, not knowing what to do, not necessarily having a lot of the training that I needed and that was required to give to me because we didn't have the time. But on the 5th of April of 2003, I was driving a truck through a city called Karbala when the front left tire of the Humvee that I was driving ran over a roadside bomb. There were four of us in the Humvee and three of the guys, the other three guys were thrown out of the vehicle because of the force of the, the explosion. But I was trapped inside and I was completely conscious. And for, for the next five minutes, um, Rosie, I, um, there's no other way to put this besides what it was. I was, I was essentially burning alive. I can see my hands changing. Um, I literally can see my hands changing. And I think people know what that means. Um, and, I, and, and I was gasping for air. This is pretty much what it consisted of for five minutes. It, it was help, help, because I had broken ribs, so I couldn't breathe. And in the mix of me trying to get air, all I was doing was inhaling the smoke from the fire, which actually, which actually did more damage to me than the actual physical burns themselves. Because now it was damage, damaging my lungs and my lungs. liver and my organs. And, uh, you know, you've heard a lot of people that have had similar experiences, you know, talk about this, where they say that uh, somehow, for some reason, in those moments, everything just slows down. 
it almost comes to a complete halt. And it feels like you've been in there for like 50 minutes versus five. And I, I thought about my mother. I thought about all the things that I wanted to do. Did you really? I, of, I did. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. Again, this is another example of how you just got to be patient. Things don't always make sense in the moment. It comes to you later. My mother had two daughters in El Salvador. Uh-huh. And then she made the trip to the United States of America seeking opportunity. She came here. She met my father. Ended up having me. Had me here. My mother was undocumented. So she couldn't take me back to El Salvador. Well, she could have, but she was like, this is his country. He deserves to be here. I'm going to try to bring my daughters over. One of my sisters, her name is Annabelle. She was born with a disability. And one of the motivations for our mother to come to the United States was to be able to make enough money to buy her a wheelchair because my sister would literally crawl around in El Campo. That's where they lived, right? They didn't live in a city. Well, um, when I was three years old, my mother got a call and was told that that sister Annabel had passed away and my mother could not go back to El Salvador because she oh, was afraid. Of course, goodness. she would never be able to come back to the United States and allow me to take advantage of what was available to me. Um, when I went to El Salvador for the second time, when I was nine years old, I went to my sister Annabel's gravesite standing there for the first time at nine years old. And I, I got, I, I got incredibly emotional. I couldn't make sense why I was emotional. It didn't make sense to me at all. Uh-huh. Didn't make sense to anybody because I never met her. I never spoke to her. But you knew that say, she existed. Yes. And then I go home. We come home. We move on. Ten years later, I'm trapped inside of this burning truck. And you know who appears to me? Annabel. I... Annabel appears to me. And the only way that I've ever seen her, I've only seen her in one form. It's a one picture that my mother has of her. It's a grainy picture. It's an old picture, black and white photo. But I see her. And she appears to me and she speaks to me and she tells me that I'm going to be okay. She tells me I'm going to be fine. And I got to tell you, Rosie, that it felt like maybe half a second, whatever that is, milliseconds. I don't know what that is. I was pulled out of that Humvee and I started the medevac process um, where I ended up in San Antonio, Texas. I was in a medical induced coma, but I was still alive and there was a chance that I was going to make it. There was a chance I wasn't going to make it, but there was a chance I was going to make it. And when I came out of that coma three weeks later, so the end of April, I recounted the story to my mother, the experience. And I told her, I was like, I think she's my guardian angel. So it made sense now when I was nine years old, why I felt such a deep connection connection. to her. She's been with me. She's been with us. But again, I had to be patient and wait for life and God to be able to present me in the right time to say, this is why. Why? The why. So many of us just ride this thing out, just sit through the storm. It's going to be a storm. I know it's hard to look outside the windows and see everything that's going on. Just sit with it. Trust yourself. Trust your people. Sit with it. It comes to you later in life. I promise you. What were your thoughts in that moment? I mean, you, you, you feel that she's present there like a guardian angel moments after you're going through this process, the healing process, because it's not, not an easy one, a very painful one. Mm-hmm. What goes through your mind during the darkness? Um, and this is now in the hospital? You mean? Yeah, in the, in the yeah. hospital. 19 years old, I tell people that immediately after I came out of my coma, I lost my identities. And what I mean by that is I lost the identity that I knew for 19 years of my life, the way that I looked, my appearance. You know, I was always called handsome. You know, look at him. He's so handsome. And now I looked in the mirror and I didn't, I didn't see a handsome person looking back at me. So that identity was taken away. 
the identity that I was starting to create for myself, which is being in the military, being in uniform, being of service, having a purpose, I was told that I can no longer remain in the United States Army. I was going to be medically discharged. So now both of my identities just completely stripped away from me. And I can tell you that I fell into a really dark place of being depressed and being angry and have a lot of regret and blaming. And the only thing that got me through, honestly, was my mother one day telling me, there's three things I want you to do. Mm. I want you to try to be positive. Try to be the old JR. I want you to believe that something good is going to come from this. And I want you to have faith. I want you to have faith. You know, my mom being from El Salvador would pray to all of these different saints and El Nino de Atocha. And yeah, our mamas. El Señor de los Milagros. Yo le prometí al Señor de los Milagros and all this stuff. And so yeah. she's like, just have faith. And Rosie, all I had in that moment was those three things. That's all I could do. So yeah. I just said, okay, I'm going to try it. And I tried it and things started. I started to see a little bit of light. And then six months later is when I told you that I've, I met this troop in the hospital and I saw another bit of light. And so suddenly I was traveling down this tunnel. If you can use your imagination to the listener right now, if you're picturing a tunnel, a very dark tunnel, but as you go deeper into the tunnel, there's maybe one light, overhead light. So now there's a little bit of light. And as you keep going through that tunnel, there's now two sets of lights, overhead lights. So there's a little bit more light and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep finding all this light. But the problem is, is so many of us, when we see the dark tunnel from the very beginning, we see darkness so much that we're like, we're not even going to go into that tunnel. Yeah. Now, I'm at the point in my life now, I see a dark tunnel. I'm like, I'm going in. I'm going to hold somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm going in. Yeah. I might take some tools with me because I'm scared, but I'm, I'm still going, going into in. that dark tunnel because I know that eventually one light, two lights, 10 overhead lights are going to appear and that tunnel is going to be lit up and there's going to be opportunity there opportunity and lots of strength and lots of empowerment. And it feels like in those dark moments, you really get to know who you are. Yeah, You get to know your strengths. You get to know how, I mean, you've gotten to this point, you've overcome so much and you have such a beautiful spirit. And I think that's a testament of when you look at things in, in, in a way that you're grateful and you have a strong mom behind you that says, have faith, keep going. Something good is going to come. Like hearing those words, if you're listening right now, have faith, be strong. Something good's going to come out of it. It will be revealed. It's, and when you start seeing that light, it keeps growing, it keeps growing. And you're like, I mean, you really lit up. Like there was so many blessings that came out of this. I mean, talk about becoming a motivational speaker. You, yeah. you became a motivational speaker. You went dancing with the stars. You've had the biggest purpose in your life to impact other people and the things that they're going through. How does this all feel? Um, surreal. It feels surreal, like, because I don't see myself as what some people may look at me as, right? Like, I just see myself as a person that is surviving, is trying to thrive and trying to learn and trying to grow every single day. I see myself as a person who's not perfect, is nowhere near perfection. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like I'm at 70% right now, my rating. And I know that I'm 37 years old and I know that there's a lot of room, you know, and I'm probably not going to reach that, reach that my, my highest percentage until maybe my last day on this earth. But until then, I'm still going to be striving for 71%, 72%, 75%. And so, you know, it feels surreal. It, it really does. Like, I, I don't feel like... um I'm qualified to be doing the things that I'm doing in many ways, you know, and, and, and it's just, for me, I just kiss it up to God. And I'm like, you know, thank you for putting me in a position and trusting me and, and, and allowing me to see the power that, that I, that I actually have that honestly, every single one of us have. I don't like to put this, I don't like to elevate myself. And the reason why is because 
It's not that I'm not proud of my accomplishments. Of course I am. I don't like to elevate myself and boast about, you know, my accomplishments because I don't want people to think that when they look at my life, they think it's unattainable for them. Yeah. I want people to understand that prior to the entertainment industry, prior to that platform that I had, I was a 19 year old kid that had his life turned completely upside down. All of us have been there at some point or another, mm-hmm. maybe not 19, maybe nine, maybe 29, maybe, maybe 30, right maybe 40, maybe, you know, it can, you know, but I want people to understand that when my life was turned upside down, I didn't have all the tools. I didn't have any, I didn't have any really tools at all, like to deal with this, but I learned as I went, but I was willing to put one foot in front of the other. Mm. And so that's why for me, yes, I've accomplished some great things. And I've, and for me, every time I step outside of my house, I am representing not only my family, I'm representing the people that I represent in different communities, burn survivors, military veterans, people that have gone through adversity, cancer survivors, you know, people with different disabilities, you know, even though we like to say in the disability community, at least I like to say is that I like to diss the diss and disability and prove to the world that I have nothing but ability. So that's what drives me every day. What drives me every day. You know, I listened to you yesterday. You and I talked yesterday because I interviewed you for my podcast and you left something on me that was so powerful. And you kept talking about how you left these seeds of love Everything for you was about leaving seeds of love with people. And, you know, on social media, people said something to you or in person. And it's really funny because people probably listen to me right now like, oh, that guy, JR, like, oh, my God, like, I like him. I like his energy. But the truth is, I don't always approach everything from a seeds of love like you. And so I look at you and I'm like, God, I, I admire you, Rosie. Like, I admire that approach. That is such a pure, genuine, beautiful thing. I don't have that. I should. But guess what? If I can try that, maybe that's how I get to 71%. That's how go. I get to 75%, there we go. right? See, I love that, JR, but that's, see, that's the beauty. But we learn from each other. But that's a beautiful thing that you have an open heart and you can acknowledge where you're at and you can acknowledge that there's room to grow. And if every human being can get to this point of saying, hey, I'm not perfect, but you know what? I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to take constructive criticism and get and to the next level. And I'm willing to do. I'm willing and to something, apply. And something I want to I want to touch on real quick. So I don't mean to, I want to be rude. This is your platform, but I, it's something that was important that we touched on yesterday is that that what you just said should not just be applied to business. It should be applied to personal. Yeah. When you're at home with your spouse, with your partner, with your children, with your friends. You have to be willing to listen, to listen to the constructive criticism, listen to understand, don't listen to respond. So many of us are so defensive that if you're somebody close to you tells you, Hey, something Mm -hmm. about yourself, you get all defensive. Well, you did. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Take the criticism and process it and evaluate it. I'm learning that every single day with my wife. I'm learning ways that as much as I am, have this beautiful gift with words, it also can be a curse sometimes because sometimes I say things that are my truth and are too honest and I don't need to speak my mind sometimes. Yeah. But I'm willing to listen to her. She's willing to listen to me. And collectively, we find ways to move forward. Mm, I love that. Well, JR, I like to call this Rosie's takeaways where I ask my guests a moment of adversity that really moved you forward that you really don't talk about and that left you a great lesson that just changed you. We know that you went through a moment in Iraq the fatherhood. Wow. That, that piece was really strong, but something that you're like, this was another lesson in my life that made me the man that I am today. 
I'd have to tell you, it was probably that it was definitely that moment when I sat in that car with my best friend in the passenger seat and he told me to cry. I was 24 years old and I was lost and I was angry at the world. And he told me that I needed to heal. And him creating a safe space and allowing me to be vulnerable mm. without any judgment. I'm going to tell you how powerful that moment was. Before that interaction, he would always tell me he loved me every time like we got off the phone or every time we left one another. And I would, I would always say, all right, I'll talk to you later. The next day after that, that interaction, I'm the first one that said, I love you. Because I'd actually felt like I now understood what it meant to actually tell a man that I love him and not be in this weird thing. Like, cause that's what I was raised. Cause I wasn't comfortable telling the man, I love you. Plus there was this, unfortunately this notion that if you tell a man you love him, it was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Now, the next day I was like, I love you, man. And now he's my best friend. He's my mentor. He's the godfather to my daughter. He's uncle Dan. Mm. He's everything. But I can tell you that now I'm the first one that always says, I love you, man. He taught me that. Wow. And that was one of the most beautiful things that I think I've been taught is that element of unconditional love. And now I try to pass that on to everybody else I encounter. Jared, thank you so much for your time, for your powerful words. There's so many lessons today that we learned, so much that we learned about you. Um, where can people find you? Where can they find more inspiration? Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for having me on. Seriously. Thank you. I mean, I, this is such an organic conversation between the two of us that I think we can talk for hours on end. So yeah. I just appreciate it. So I know that this is going to be a, a conversation we'll continue, but I'm on social media at I am JR Martinez or my website, jrmartinez.com. So, you know, come play around, come see what my silly butt's up to. And, uh, you know, just try to inspire the world. Thank you so much, JR, for being on the podcast. You guys are listening to The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues. Vulnerability is our willingness to take risk and expose ourselves emotionally to others. Researcher and author Brene Brown once said, if we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Vulnerability and trust go hand in hand in relationships. While it can be tricky to decide which one comes first, both qualities build off each other to deepen a connection by allowing ourselves to be seen. We allow others to put themselves in our shoes and vulnerability builds empathy and understanding for everyone involved. When we are vulnerable, we allow ourselves to be seen and accepted exactly as we are. This benefit of acceptance can in turn build our own self-acceptance. Being vulnerable while scary is necessary to help you find people who will accept you for your authentic self. Staying vulnerable helps us consistently recognize our value as a unique and independent human being while giving us the courage to reveal ourselves in that way that strengthens our connections. Remember, I'm always here to help you and always here to grow with you. If you want to hear more about my journey, be sure to check out my memoir, The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, available both in English and Spanish through HarperCollins and HarperOne. You can find the link to purchase in the show description wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, a Himalaya learning podcast to access my own your shit handbook filled with key insights and exercises and to join a community where you can chat directly with me. Go to Himalaya.com forward slash Rosie and enter promo code Rosie at checkout and get 14 days absolutely free. I hope to see you there.